are listening to 88.9 FM KUCI Irvine. The opinions expressed on this program do not reflect the views of KUCI or the University of California, Irvine. If you're a veteran of Iraq or Afghanistan, like me, coming home can be harder than expected. I felt a little out of place, but it turns out I wasn't alone. At IAVA.org, there's a free online community of thousands of OIF and OEF vets who've got your back here, just like they did over there. So now, I'm never alone. I can get the resources I need and talk to tons of people who understand where I'm coming from. Whether it's navigating the GI Bill or VA hospitals, managing the transition home, or meeting people you can share stories with, you'll find it at IAVA.org. Even if it's just everyday stuff, like getting tips on where to find a nice sweater for my dog. Did he just say that? Okay, maybe not that, but everything else. No matter where you are, Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America is there for you. Join our community at IAVA.org. We got your back. Brought to you by Iraq Afghanistan Veterans of America and the Ad Council. Hi there, you're listening to Get the Funk Out. Second half of the show, we're joined by Dr. Judith Wright, author of Transform the Science of Spectacular Living. She's coming on the line right now. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Wright. Good to be with you, thanks. You, you've written quite a few books. I've got one here, Transform the Science of Spectacular Living, but you also wrote a book called The Soft Addiction Solution. And before we get on your latest book, could you tell me a little bit about that book? Oh, you know, soft addictions are those seemingly harmless habits, like watching too much television, overeating, oversnacking, over-shopping, getting lost yeah. in social media. I mean, the list goes on. But those, they're ordinary daily things that we do, but we don't really realize how addicted we get to them and how much time they take. And they mute our consciousness. They numb our feelings. They're actually robbing us from the greater lives we could be living. And that's why I coined the term soft addictions, because I think it really explains, kind of describes that what happens when we get lost in cyberspace and all those other ways we numb ourselves. Yes, and what's interesting is I have your article here from 2007 in the Chicago Tribune where you talk about how, you know, even back then, soft addictions were becoming a problem. What do you think of what's happening now with well, the yeah. phones and everything else? It's crazy. Well, you know, it is it's crazy. I mean, I think mankind has had soft addictions probably forever, but maybe it was gossiping or, you know, different things we mindlessly did. But with the increase in technology and social media and cell phones and smartphones and our computers and email and all the ways that we're, in, we're tweeting and we're Pinterest, <laughs> and, you know, we're, it's like, wow, we're doing way, way more Facebook. Facebook than face-to-face, and it's so consuming. Yes. And, I mean, it's like people sleep with their cell phones. There's oh, people texturing sex. I mean, it's like, oh, my gosh, what are we doing? What do you really have to say? I mean, <laughs> really, seriously. <laughs> No, and, it, and it's, it's, it's so addictive. You know, I get into an elevator. I'm sure you have this experience. You get into an elevator and several people, but nobody's talking anymore. Nobody's Everybody talking. pulls out their smartphone. You're not engaging, interacting. It's like any moment we could have a down moment or an interactive moment, it's like a compulsive checking our phone or trying to, see, you know, are, do we miss something? Or I know, I know. And people post the most ridiculous things, you know. Well, you know, like, hey, just went to the bathroom. Oh, well, yeah, good for you. Hey, you know, like it's like we're two, you know. I know. I, I had this great activity I had to do in graduate school at BU where I had to get into a crowded elevator. Instead of everybody facing the door and looking up at the buttons, I had to face everybody, you know, facing me. So I would get in, the doors would close, so I'm closed by my back, and I'd stare at everybody. 
my God. And I had to, you know, then go back and write down how uncomfortable everybody was that I was doing that. It's just this, you know, way of doing research, and it's just so funny studying well, human it was behavior. A great experiment to do, but I bet it was uncomfortable for you and for them. Like human oh, contact, yes. uncomfortable. Yes, that's upsetting. You know, and and what many people are looking at is that you now younger people, where this is their mode, they don't have another way. This has been how they've grown up. What that is, is are really losing some of the social interactive, some of the deeper thinking, some of that longer kinds of engaged reading is not happening. So there's some loss there. I mean, I, yeah, there's some gains. There's, I'm not saying that we should get rid of technology, but our relationship with it really has to be our relationship with it, something under our control rather than something we just submit to. Yes. What, what was it that helped you uh, come up with your latest book, Transform the Science of Spectacular Living? You know, we, we have a right is that we do personal professional development, do everything we can to bring out the best in people. We also have a graduate university, the right graduate university for the realization of human potential. So we're doing everything we can to teach people the skills of living a great life, and we do coaching and training and things. But what we noticed, everybody, all of our students are learning and growing, but some of our students were blowing the doors off of their lives. I mean, their relationships were deep and intimate. Their their careers were skyrocketing. They were getting promoted, making more money, closing more deals. Their leadership was expanding. Their influence was expanding. Their sense of mission was big. And we're like, wait a minute, what are they? They're in the same courses. They're seeing the same coaches. They have the same life assignments. Why are they having these huge transformational leaps as opposed to other people that were learning and growing and improving? Yes. So we started out to study that. I'm like, what is that? Right. And we kind of know that we're not the best. We brought in some outside researchers because we didn't want to bias with our own perceptions. True. Yes. And, you know, and then we took that data and really worked it. And what we found was that there's a process that these people were following, a six-phase process that really made the difference between improving and learning and leaping to transformational changes that became part of who they are. And that, the transform, the science of spectacular living, is that research. I don't mean it's just all research. It's stories and tips and how to really, how can we all do that? If they can do it, we can do it. And then we found that that same process is what's followed by every hero or heroine we've ever had, whether it's Mother Teresa or Abraham Lincoln or Bucky Fuller. They're, they were all doing the same kind of thing. And we're like, whoa, we found something here. And sure. We've got to tell people, you can have a great life. This is what it takes, and this is what it really takes to transform and live a spectacular life. And uh, your book is very interesting. You, you have a lot of diagrams about, um, there's something called this um, Jahari window. Could you tell me more about that? You know, it's interesting because it's about feedback and disclosure. And it actually was put together by a guy named Joe and a guy named Harry. So they called it Joe Harry. Oh, that's Harry, funny. Harry's <laughs> window. But it's really about, you know, there's all of us have blind spots. There's things, there's, there are some things we know about ourselves that other people don't know. There's things that other people know about us that we don't know. And there's parts that are just kind of hidden to both. And in order for us to really grow and really become more aware and more conscious of who we are and how we are and how we're behaving, there's several things. We, we need to reveal ourselves more fully, let people really know us more and to see more and to share more of our deeper emotions and thoughts and feelings and, and even our criticisms and judgments and our ideas. But we also need to get feedback from other people. That's hard. And it is so All hard. All that's so hard. <laughs> Oh, you know, 
But what we found is people who live really great lives, and we found this in the high-performance literature too, they really seek feedback. They want to know, how do you see me? What can I do better? How can I be the best me I can be? Mm-hmm. And people that do that, that have more of that kind of growth mindset, tend to do much better in life. But I, I'm with you. It is hard. I don't it like it. You know, I want to be good. You know, <laughs> I want to feel like I'm okay. And I tend to take criticism like an indictment. I've learned right. over time that that's really what I need in order for me to become my best. So I'm, I'm much more open to it. But it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. Well, feedback. absolutely. You know, and it's also, you know, people have baggage. I remember when I met my husband, he'd say, you have this giant wall up. You know, and it was like my fortress of protection. Yeah. And uh, for a lot of reasons. And then over time, you know, you learn to laugh and grow and change and you let the wall down slowly. But, you know, I've been one to, very, you know, protect myself. Well, you're not alone with that, and I think we have to respect that with with one another. At the same time, that wall that protects you at one level keeps you from the intimacy, which is why right. your husband was you know was trying to chip some right. holes in that right. wall. Yes, and it, you know it, it protects, but it also keeps as a defense. It keeps you from really deep connection. It keeps us really lonely. Yeah, you're fading out a little. Are you on a cell? I'm not. I'm on a landline. Can you hear me okay now? Now I can, yes. Okay, great. If you're just tuning in, we're talking with Dr. Judith Wright, author of Transform the Science of Spectacular Living. And because of the theme of the show is Get the Funk Out, uh, I'm sure you've come across people that are in a a funk and they don't know how to find their their way out of this, you know, time in their life, this period, you know, and they just don't know where to start as far as maybe a career change or relationship change. Do you have advice for people that are going through tough times? Yeah, I think that, you know, no matter what, all of us have tough times at some points in time, and sometimes it just really, we're kind of stuck in them. There's a couple of things. One is these phases are really helpful because the first one is yearning. is what we ended up naming it. It's really getting in touch with what really matters to you, really in the heart of your heart. And the yearnings are similar for all of us. I mean, we yearn to love and be loved, too. Mm-hmm to connect, to be affirmed, to matter, to be seen, to be heard, to make a difference. And those yearnings are very important. People that live a really good life focus on those. And no matter what's going on in our lives, we can take movement toward those. Even if things are really, you've lost your job or uh, you had a bad breakup or whatever, we can focus, okay, what can I do that would help me feel more loved right now? What, yes. How can I reach out to someone and matter more? That We, we have power with mm-hmm. those. We don't have to wait for a situation to change to do that. And that actually can be very empowering. But, you know, I think the other thing related to it, there's another phase which is engaging. We have to act on those yearnings. And then the phase after that, let me go to this one for a second, it's revelating. And what that means is we're both revealing ourselves more fully, but we're looking more deeply and revealing to ourselves our own belief systems, what we call our matrix, that kind of neural pathways of our beliefs and thoughts and actions and habits. And all of us have mistaken beliefs about ourselves and the world, like, oh, I can't do this, or I'm too old, or I'm too young, or I'm too stupid, or, you know, there's not enough for me, or whatever. We have limiting beliefs. And it's really important we see what those are because those create our reality. Mm-hmm. If we can shed some more light on those, we can start to shift that. It doesn't. It's true that we believe it, but it's not true. And That's we all right. Are valuable. We all have possibilities, and that belief system and working with that, I think, is one of the things that's really, really critical because it's hard to operate, try to make changes on top of that. We need to really kind of rotor root some of those beliefs 
and get some more empowering ones instead. It seems like we have to also, I was talking with uh, Denise Winston, my earlier guest, we have to step away from our current situation and just take a break, even if it's a hobby, to kind of get in touch with who we are, what our needs are, where we think we might want to go. It's very hard. Well, it is hard, and it's hard to value that. It's hard to stop the you know, routines and habits and the ways of thinking and kind of the same old, same old. It's very uh, it's really hard to get some distance on that. And I think, you know, it's consciousness, I think, is what we're talking about. Yeah, it helps to take time, but we could take time and not be conscious, I guess, too. I think it's really being willing to look, wait a minute, what do I really care about? What really matters? What's working about my life? What's not? What, what can I do differently? And really allowing ourselves some of that soul-searching, I think, is really important for, for us. Otherwise, we just keep repeating the same thing every single day, and things don't change. Yes, yes. You've got an interesting segment here called Blocks to Engaging. Could you tell me about that? Yeah, you know, the engaging is really critical because we don't have a wonderful life, and we don't transform if we don't do something, you know, if we don't engage, yes. particularly engaging toward our those deeper yearnings we talked about. But there's so many blocks to engaging. I mean, one of the things you just, we just talked about is our soft addictions, those ways that we kind of go mindless and kind of put ourselves in a trance, and that's a big, huge block to engaging. You know, another block, and this is interesting, it's what to, it's Nobel Prize winning economic research, but I think you can relate to it. They okay. it's loss aversion. It's that we have this aversion to loss. We're more afraid of, that we're more aware of the fear of loss than we're aware of the joy of gain. And we tend to oh. not take risk. You know, yes. we, we, don't, we don't see the gain that we can get where it's, oh, I might lose something. I might, something might happen. And then we stay paralyzed. It's like being afraid of getting hurt so you never jump into that relationship. Yeah, it's really true. And Oh, great. Like, maybe you don't get hurt, but you never have a relationship. Yes. We can, we, and I think, I think you're hitting on something there, too, because if we can develop our emotional intelligence and we can deal with hurt, then we don't need to avoid it our whole life. Yes. And I think that's really critical. It's really important because just to be afraid of being hurt, I mean, who wants that on their tombstone? She was afraid of being hurt, so she was paralyzed. You know, right, exactly. It's not what we want in our heart of hearts. No, it's no. To let ourselves be vulnerable, and if we get hurt, learn to deal with that. Right. And we're also, you have a diagram here about self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. I mean, that is so interesting because, you know, we, we, we don't see ourselves the way other people see us. No. I know I don't. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's so important. This is why our belief systems are so important for us to understand because we make them real. Let's say I believe that I'm not okay and that people don't really want to be with me somehow. If I have that belief, then I act in a way that puts that out in the world. Like I might kind of come into a party or a business meeting and not speak up. Maybe I've got kind of slumped posture. I kind of, you know, I don't expose myself really fully. I don't speak up. And then that interacts with other people's beliefs. I mean, they see me acting that way and they go, ooh, she's not somebody I want to spend time engaging with. And then they might shun me or you or whoever that, you know, has this belief system. And then we go, see, I knew I wasn't valuable. Right. And it reinforces that. But we can change it. We can change that belief. We can change how we act, even if we still believe that. We can hang around people that don't believe that about us and behave differently toward us. And any of those things can really help us shift that self-fulfilling prophecy. Yes. You know what I, I think is a really good activity is to make a list of all the things you'd like to do, but you think you'll never be able to do? Even if it's, you know, I want to take... Um, a music class. I want to learn to play an instrument. I want to take a. I took a 
an improv class last year. Uh, I recently learned how to do a monologue. Wow. You know, these things, I mean, there's a lot of things on my bucket list, but just coming up with a list. And because once you tackle some of these things, you're, you feel like a weight's been lifted. Oh, that's so good. And you know, the things that you've done for yourself to put that out and then do that, then you prove to yourself, I can do this. Mm-hmm. I don't need to be limited. I mean, I can do improv. I mean, that's so gutsy, you know, that you can do that. It's great. But you're right. Coming up with that list, it, I think it activates that yearning. You know, it activates that desire that we have inside, and we don't have to give up. We can cert- we can make a list. That's within any of our <laughs> capacity to do that. But then we to actually start taking action toward those, it feels so good. And that's what we found in our research, too. People that keep taking risks, they take the next class, they expand their capacities, they're stretching. And we also find the neuroscience of that is when you do something new, that's kind of, you know, it's like even learning a new dance step. It's awkward in the beginning. You know, it's really, oh, it doesn't feel good. Yes, you're right get the rhythm of it, but when we're in that stretching, just at the edge of our comfort zone, a little bit, a little bit hard, but not, you know, not so terrible, that's actually where the most magical learning takes place. That's when our brain is lighting up with just almost like fireworks in it. That's where the, our neuroplasticity is activated, where we actually can learn new things. And it's really important that we stretch that way, both for just the joy of that, but also we can become who we can become rather than just being who we've already been. Right. And we do let relationships, I know in the past I've let somebody say to me, oh, you can't do that. I mean, you can't do voiceover and radio. And it made me want to do it more. (laughs) Good for you. It really did. And so if you're listening, ha. (laughs) 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 Uh, um, But it's, what I was going to say is we're, we're so afraid of looking stupid. We're so afraid of failing. And one of the things I just want to give a little example in my improv class, I tell my daughters all the time, it was so much fun because we had to come up and we had to do these activities and get in the front of the room and a group of us and we'd have to say things that rhymed and, and the person at the end of the line had to wrap up the rhyme. And I remember being at the, the last person and you'd say something and the teacher would say, you have to own it with a straight face and not lose it, not laugh, not roll your eyes, not go, oh, no, that was so stupid, you know. And I remember owning it, and it was so stupidest thing I said, like, and, you know, her lime dress smelled like lard, and I had to just smile and hold it. And it's so easy for us to go, oh, my gosh, what did I just do? But the point is, don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Well, it's so important, I mean, what you just said. I mean, and I think all those rules of improv are actually pretty good rules for life. The mm-hmm. way you're describing them is not resisting. Take things as they come and work it. Use it. Don't push things away in that way. And, you know, you might be afraid. You were probably afraid in that moment. Oh, totally. You know, you're vulnerable <laughs> and scary. Can I pull this out? Oh, <laughs> completely. At the same time, you're doing it. So not to let our fear paralyze us, I think, is what's so crazy. So we're scared. So what? Living life is scary. It is. You know, it really just is scary. And doing new things is scary. The being worried about making a mistake or being humiliated. I mean, I've been kind of one of my soft addictions, particularly in the past, is being a perfectionist. And I can't pretend I'm over, over that. I want to do everything perfectly. I want to do it right. I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to look stupid. But that, would, that really limits my life. So I've had to really right. learn to be more willing to celebrate my mistakes and be willing to take those risks. And I have to admit, my life's a lot more fun. That's when great. I do that. Yes. And, you know, and yeah, I get embarrassed. <laughs> yeah, I do stupid things. But I also get a lot more successes from it. I, I think you're so right with that. It's so important not to let the fear of embarrassment or humiliation or making a mistake limit our lives. And, you know, we're so, we're so lucky 
to have the lives we have. I mean, I get inspired by this woman we know. She's 94. We play Scrabble with her, and she beats us. And she's so sharp. And we're just like, oh, my gosh. You know, we, I want to be like that. Yeah, here, here. I mean, to be that, just and look how much she's been developing herself her whole life to mm-hmm. have that ability and that acuity and that brilliance. And I, I'm sure she loves beating you too. <laughs> it's it's great. It is so great. Yeah, I think we all want that. None of us want to be blobby. No. <laughs> None of us want to be incapacitated. <laughs> we want to be on our edge. And, and you do admire people that are going for it. I mean, sometimes you're jealous of them, sometimes all kinds of reactions, but you're right. That's so inspiring. Somebody who's right on their edge, somebody who's really has mastery is really inspiring to be with. Yes, absolutely. Any uh, last bit of advice for people that are going through different changes, twists and turns? Well, I think that, you know, embracing the opportunity of the twists and turns, I mean, I know they're discouraging. I know that can be upsetting, but I've just had this beautiful opportunity to work with people over 30 years of different kinds of situations, and just what's possible is just huge. We can we can grow from things. We can transform. We can become who we, even beyond our dreams of who we can be. We just need to know how. We need to have the right support. But it's really such a hopeful thing, and I think that's what I want to leave is just that nothing's hopeless. We can feel hopeless, but it's not hopeless. There's always a possibility for learning, growing, transforming, and really becoming someone beyond what you, beyond your wildest imagining. And sometimes those tough times are actually the catalyst that we need to really engage in our lives more fully and make the changes we need to make. You know, I call the crazy roller coaster ride, the twists, the turns, the ups and downs, sometimes the best thing that ever happened to us. Oh, you know, when you look back, somebody told me a long time ago, one of those times, they said, you know, a year from now, this is going to look very different, and you're going to be glad for this. And I went, oh, yeah, right. But you know what? That was right, because I did use that year, really. And had I not had that upsetting, tough time, I wouldn't have had the results that I had. So I think you're right on, and I think it's important to remember that. Yes, yes. Thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find out more information about you? They can go to my website, www.judithwright.com. And you can get two free chapters of Transform, the Science of Spectacular Living. And you could also go to lifeproject.com and get a free oh, yeah. downloadable, it's a beautiful plan of how to really plan how to make the changes you want in your life that really work science-based, research-based, and experience-based. So judithwright.com or lifeproject.com. And I put that on my blog, which is getthefunkoutshow.kci.org, that you created this special complimentary uh, planner. Thank you so much for uh, my listeners. Uh, again, lifeproject.com, and then there's a link to your website as well. That's great. I love that, and it's, I, I hope that they use it because all of you listening, it's a great, great way to really make the changes in your life. So thanks so much. Thank you so much for calling in. Great to have been here. Thanks. Have a great day. Bye-bye. That was Dr. Judith Wright, and if you've missed any part of today's show and our discussion about Transform the Science of Spectacular Living, it uh, will be up on my blog within the next hour, which is uh, getthefunkoutshow.kci.org. Coming up next, Sheldon Abbott with Cure for the Blues is standing by. Here he comes into the studio. All right, have a great President's Day, everyone, and uh, I'll be back here next Monday.